0: medical department, only two go to the bench and we are more than a dozen. We don't train, we only recover. That's the that's situation. Preparation, hard work, confidence in overcoming those difficult moments. Today
1: we are still outside Liverpool and we are going to the first part of the medical test.
0: Welcome to this Football Medicine and Performance podcast. I am Andrew Shafiq, a senior editor at the FMPA and your host for today's podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Avinash Chandran. Dr. Chandran joined the Datalist Center in January 2020 as the director of the NCAA Injury Surveillance Program. Prior to joining the Datalist Center, Dr. Chandran was a postdoctoral research associate in the Department of Exercise and Sports Science at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill where he concurrently worked with the Matthew Kfeller Sport Related TBI Research Center, the Center for Study of Retired Athletes and the Injury Prevention Research Center. Dr. Chandran is a quantitative epidemiologist and his research interests are broadly in athlete health over the lifespan. Dr. Chandran holds a Bachelor of Science degree in public health from the University of Maryland, College Park. He completed his Master Science in Epidemiology as well as PhD in Epidemiology at the George Washington University. Thank you for joining us today, Avinash. Did Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Brilliant to, brilliant to have you here. Um, today, we're going to discuss your journey, experiences, and find out a little bit more about women's soccer, athletes, and health over the lifespan. Uh, and we know that you wrote an article for the FMPA, which we'll touch on as well. But just before we get started, do you mind expanding on from the introduction and telling us a little bit more about your journey to date?
1: Sure. Um, it's uh, it's always good to 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 sort of, uh, take a trip back uh, memory lane a little bit. Um I do have a um, a background in in soccer. so um, I my academic interests um, have always been in uh, mathematics and and um, health sciences. But my sort of, um, uh, you know, true sport passion has been in, in football or, or in soccer. Um, having said that, I think my early education in, in uh, sport uh, was in cricket. Um, I'm, I'm from India, um, and so cricket obviously is a very data-intensive sport. So as I was sort of thinking about, um, you know, advanced studies and and trying to, to meld everything together. Um, sort of, um, you know, sport injury and sport injury epidemiology, um, you know, is, is, is a field that I that I filtered into um, after sort of bringing together my own personal interest in sport and specific sports, as well as my academic interests in, um, um, in, in uh, uh, sort of health sciences and, and mathematics, um, I, w- I had the fortune of working Uh, in various departments of exercise and sports and sports sciences or exercise and nutrition sciences, both at the George Washington University as well at UNC Chapel Hill, where I got exposed to sort of different uh, domains of the research space. Um, And that's really how I sort of uh, progressed through that journey of of, um, bringing together my academic and personal interests and really crafting a, a research program out of it.
0: Brilliant! It's really interesting to hear about about your background, and you're the first epidemiologist we've had on the podcast. So I think it's going to be really insightful to our listeners to to learn from yourself today. Do, do you mind just telling us a bit about the importance of kind of focusing on athlete health over the lifespan, which you kind of have a vast experience of, which some of our listeners may not be aware of.
1: Yeah, that's a good question um now historically in sports medicine we've obviously tended to focus on athlete health over their career spans uh, than over their lifespans and that perhaps makes intuitive sense given what we typically tend to associate with um, athletes which is sport participation um, however athletes obviously tend to to spend a short amount of time in their athlete careers or athletic careers relative to their overall lifespans and in fact you know, athletes go on to to continue carrying out activities of daily living for for several years uh, past their their careers. So, having said that, particularly with regards to the provision of care. There's a genuine need to better understand um, uh, the athlete health beyond their career spans and over their lifespan in order to to really better configure prevention or understand prevention uh, for the former athletes from a public health perspective. Now, in sport injury, epidemiology, we've been um, historically familiarized with um, uh, the sequence of prevention model that was first proposed by Dr. Van Mechelen and, and colleagues in the 90s, all in the context of preventing sports injuries. However, um you know health outcomes and the paradigms of concern dynamically evolve over the lifespan in this population and so you know their health related needs and challenges are different post career than during their uh, during their sporting careers and so you know as i see it in order to better understand those challenges concerns and to better configure the provision of care tempered for a stage of life it becomes important to consider health over the lifespan and not just through um, athletic uh, careers.
0: Brilliant. And you're obviously in the privileged position of the role of director of the NCAA Injury Surveillance Program. Do you mind just telling us a bit about the NCAA collegiate sport in the U.S. and orientating uh, us to that, especially those kind of mainly in the U.K. for our listeners who probably don't have a great awareness of, of the NCAA system?
1: Yeah, sure. That's um, certainly understandable. And um, so to give everyone a sense here, collegiate sport in the US is, is sort of considered to be the premier avenue for, for amateur sport participation. And the National Collegiate Athletic Association or the NCAA is a member led organization that provides a, a sort of structural framework for premier collegiate sport in the US. And I'll say that there are other comparable organizations, um, so like the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics, the NAIA, or uh, the National Junior College Athletic Association, the NJCAA, uh, that sort of function in a a similar capacity as well. Now, where an institution, a particular college, uh, may be within this ecosystem is, is dependent on a number of factors, including, but not quite limited to size, scope of uh, sporting operations, uh, historical context, um, et cetera. Um, Speaking with regards to the NCAA in particular, the NCAA is certainly the largest of these and and hundreds of thousands of athletes compete as part of the NCAA competition each year in various sports. Um, Now I'll reiterate that the NCAA is member led and it holds uh, student athlete health and wellness, um, and health and well-being as paramount in its operations and really just to, to summarize its operational capacity the NCAA oversees championships mostly uh, manages um, student-athlete programs benefit programs and supports uh, playing rules committees um, in, in various rules and policy related decision making processes and that's uh, how I, will, I would summarize it to me.
0: Brilliant, and now you've told us a little bit more about the uh, kind of NCAA and the collegiate sports system in the US, do you mind kind of just delving a bit more into the epidemiology and sports medicine, injury surveillance and the NCAA injury surveillance program that you're involved with?
1: Sure, um, so epidemiology in general is, is, you know as I'm sure the listeners would be at least broadly familiar with, is oriented towards understanding underlying patterns and processes surrounding health and health outcomes. With the idea that we could then use that information uh, to solve um, health-related problems or public health problems. Now, in the context of sport, the most apparent manifestation of a health problem and in- is is considered to be injury. And so, sport injury epidemiologists try to better understand patterns in injury risk and what determines sequelae or outcomes uh, in, in in this context. Now, having said that, as I was mentioning before this is what the tacit understanding that we have um, that we're speaking of athletes uh, and athlete health during career spans and as you can imagine uh, the frame of um, you know the, the, this frame of thinking and, and the epidemiological targets so to speak when we talk about athlete health uh, through the lifespan sort of changes um, Nonetheless, uh, you know, speaking uh, specifically of the injury prevention paradigm and where injury surveillance uh, comes in, it plays a very important role in this process. As I see it, as I was referring to uh, before, uh, the the sequence of prevention model was proposed by Dr. Van Meschel and all uh, and and colleagues uh, several years ago. And using that as a guiding principle, sport injury surveillance really serves as a first step in identifying emerging patterns understanding areas of focus, so say in terms of specific sports or specific injury types, and then using that information to develop hy- hypotheses or ideological ideas uh, that then really get into causal mechanisms of injuries. Um, now the injury uh, NCA injury surveillance uh, program also functions functions with a very similar remit trying to, to understand or identify general patterns or time trends that can help support health and safety related decision making or initiatives.
0: That's brilliant and I suppose kind of linking into the, the main topic of today in relation to women's soccer athletes, do you mind just describing the the epidemiology of injuries in NCAA women's soccer, especially relating to, to, to the research that you've been involved with?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So we recently published an article on this topic in the Journal of Athletic Training, uh, which we also then subsequently summarized in in an FMPA publication that uh, listeners might be aware of. Um, So I'll try to walk through some of the highlights from that work. Um, So to preface this, I'll note that the article was intended to describe the epidemiology of injuries uh, in in NCAA women's soccer during the 2014-15 through the 2018-19 academic years. Um, The NCAA Injury Spells Program uh, leverages athletic training, electronic medical records systems and records uh, to obtain both injury-related information as well as some aggregated exposure information or contextual information that we then use to um, uh, determine incidence rates and things like that. So what we saw in this particular study was that the overall injury rate in women's soccer during this time was roughly nine, about eight and a half per 1,000 athlete exposures. Now, an athlete exposure is widely used in the U.S. Uh, and in U.S.-based um, sport injury surveillance systems um, and is effectively a way of expressing exposure time. Um, so one athlete exposure is defined as one athlete participating in one practice or a competition event. So if we had 20 athletes in a in a training session, for instance, in a, in a women's soccer training session, that would equate to 20 athlete exposures. So having said that, we also saw that injury rates were higher in competition events than training or practice events, which is consistent with what we've seen in the literature so far um, in other um, groups as well, and that injury rates were also higher in Division two of NCAA competition compared to Division one or Division three in NCAA women's soccer. Now, perhaps one of the most uh, clinically salient features of surveillance that listeners might be interested in is the ability to capture characteristics of injuries as well. And what we saw in this study was that injuries in women's soccer are most commonly attributed to uh, the knee, ankle, and thigh regions, and were most often related to to contact mechanisms than non-contact mechanisms. Uh, Now, of note, we also saw that uh, the most commonly reported specific injuries, which again, diagnoses are captured in the system as well. Uh, And the most commonly reported specific injuries during the study period were uh, partial or complete lateral ligament complex tears or ankle sprains, uh, concussions and partial or complete uh, quadriceps tears. Um, Particularly with regards to ankle sprains and concussions, we we did see that ankle sprain uh, rates or incidents in particular rose during the study period. Um, and concussion rates as well rose during the the latter parts of the study period, so from fifteen, sixteen through uh, eighteen and uh, nineteen.
0: That's really interesting. And I suppose to to link it back, how do we contextualize this and imply it in regards to to lifespan health and not just career health?
1: yeah, that's a, that's a good question because again, it sort of comes back to to what I was alluding to before. Um, now in the in the context of lifespan health, um, it's a, it's always important to consider the impact of the sporting career, obviously. Um, and perhaps there are two ways of thinking about this, or at least that's um, you know, I, I sort of approach it in two ways. On one hand, uh, during sporting careers, it's important to think about the long term implications of injuries sustained whenever an event actually happens. Um, And on the other hand, uh, when thinking particularly about the provision of care for former athletes, um, especially for a clinical audience, it's important to consider the impact of sport exposure on general health status and and health and functioning um, in later life. Now I mentioned this before, uh, some of the most commonly injured body parts or the the common injuries that emerge from epidemiological studies as this can be informative in terms of lifespan health as well. So for instance, it's important to consider the downstream implications on function and functional capacity of lateral ankle sprains uh, sustained during careers of uh, women soccer athletes. Uh, or, you know, there's constantly evolving evidence surrounding the implications of sport-related head trauma on brain and mental health uh, through the lifespan as well. So some of the injury-related patterns that I just discussed can certainly shed some light on this um, on this topic in this regard in this population.
0: That's brilliant. And I suppose, well, what are some of the salient points in regards to general health status and lifespan health uh, needs among this kind of demographic in the women's soccer athletes?
1: Sure. Um, so as I mentioned earlier on in the session, historically, we've tended to to focus on athlete health over uh, career spans and lifespans. And perhaps, again, this imbalance in the scientific literature and, and broader dialogues is natural and understandable. But obviously, the needs of athletes evolve over the lifespan. And, and I tend to perhaps think of overall health and wellness in former athletes as a collection of of various domains and interconnected domains, so to speak, so musculoskeletal health, or neurological health, psychological health, or cardiopulmonary health, um, and so on. Now, the benefit of such a perspective uh, is really that, uh, as we know, these domains, health domains don't quite function in isolation, and health outcomes um, aren't quite isolated events either. So really, taking this global approach helps us contextualize um, aging in athletes as a more uh, natural process and uh, rather than, than one in which we, we take a sort of semi-dimensional view or acute view of musculoskeletal outcomes only or neurological outcomes um, only.
0: Brilliant, and I suppose what, what are some of the, the key evidence or the emerging evidence that that, that you've come across in relation to this?
1: Yeah. So I, I'll preface this by saying, unfortunately, there's very limited research on on this topic, as as some of the listeners might also be aware of. Um, and the limited research on former athletes, particularly former collegiate athletes in the U.S., tends to be um, on former male athletes or pooled samples of of male and female athletes. Uh, we've still still been able to obtain some important context from existing work, and that's. Uh, served as a platform uh, for some of my own research program in this space, which I'll which I'll discuss briefly. Um, so, for instance, there is some research indicating relationships between concussion history and the risk of depression, uh, impulsivity, and aggression in in samples of of uh, former NCA athletes. Uh, similarly, there is some work done in form, uh, female former uh, gymnasts or collegiate gymnasts linking a history of disordered eating and not only bone health, but also pain and physical function and uh, post-collegiate careers. Now, um, in some of my own work that I conduct through the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, uh, we've been able to take a more nebulous approach to uh, general health status um, um, in former NCAA women's soccer athletes. And what we found in our pilot work in that group uh, is that the most, the most prevalent health concerns tend to be OA or degenerative arthritis or related to mental health outcomes like depression or anxiety. And we did see that roughly 20% of our pilot uh, sample um, reported some level of difficulty with regards to uh, general day-to-day activities like um, uh, chores and walking or doing chores and walking stairs. These are from Promise measures, uh, which is a uh, health-related tool, survey-based tool that we used. Um, and in using a similar approach, we also saw that over half of the sample reported some Uh, pain interference broadly with regards to -to day-to-day activities. Now, I'll also mention that one topic we particularly uh, we were particularly interested in this population was reproductive or pelvic floor health. Um, and we tried to broadly capture menstrual function, pelvic floor function in our respondents uh, in some of our pilot work as well. And what we saw most notably was a high prevalence of a lifetime history of um, pelvic floor dysfunctions like accidental urinary leakage, bacteria, and accidental flatulence with dysfunctions predominantly manifesting post-collegiate careers. So again, um, taking a more global approach to general health status in our work, we've been able to characterize health as a collection of these various domains. And I think that can be quite insightful in driving next steps as well.
0: That's really interesting i mean there's literature coming out at the moment which i think a lot of listeners would be aware of about kind of health conditions among retired professional footballers from from my colleague sean Carmody et al and some of the work by the drake study foundation but i think some yeah. of the points that you've mentioned there are definitely things that you know i've not come across and it's it's really insightful to see some of the work you're doing in the us so so credit to, to you and your colleagues there i think i suppose just just to finish off it might be useful to give some context for kind of clinicians healthcare providers um, about the importance of the transition process from from some of the points that we've discussed today into kind of a sporting and, and clinical context, if that's OK.
1: Yeah, I think this is a great question. I think there are a couple of uh, important points here and um, in the, in the practice of providing care for former athletes um, would all Likely be an agreement that there is—it's it, critical to consider sport exposure, um, and I say that as an epidemiologist, and the impact of injuries sustained during um, careers on sustained during careers on on late life health. Uh, Now, in this regard, um, as uh, some of the work I was mentioning before indicates, it's reasonable to take a more nebulous perspective and and consider the interconnected nature of various health domains during clinical evaluations or treatment protocols, just as would be the norm for, for current athletes. Um, now another point I'd want to emphasize is related to to the second part uh, of, of the question there which is related to the transition process itself um, I think the transition period um I consider it so that the period where an athlete is actively progressing towards sport exit can be thought of um, as a natural intervention point in terms of lifespan health um you know, In thinking about long-term health outcomes, this is a time when we can equip athletes with, let's say, information or resources uh, to improve lifespan health. Now, in some of our pilot work I was referencing before, we saw that former um, women's soccer athletes reported that they would have um, benefited from career guidance. Obviously, these are collegiate athletes. And... but they also reported that they would have benefited from exercise and mental health resources in particular um you know during this transition period so again if you if we view that window of transition as an opportunity um, in considering prevention again from a true public health lens we can really leverage that period perhaps to have quite a profound impact on lifespan health um, in former athletes
0: Brilliant. That's really, really insightful. Avinash, is there is there anywhere that kind of some of the listeners can access some of some of the bits and pieces that you've discussed today? Anywhere you'd recommend or point them towards?
1: Yeah, uh, there. There, I'm, I'm happy to share uh, the publications that I referenced and um, in, and in in some of my responses. Certainly, the the most recent one that was published in um, in the Journal of Athletic Training. Uh, we have a couple of um, publications from the former athlete work as well. That's that is in the process of, of um, being in print so ones that have been accepted or in the final stages of review I'm certainly happy to share those as well and I'd um, of course urge uh, listeners to to uh, be in touch uh, get in touch with me or or um, connect with the Daedalus Center to get a better sense of the surveillance programs, uh, US based surveillance programs uh, that we manage uh, the operations of certainly the NCAA injury surveillance program, but we also have high school sport injury surveillance programs that we um, manage here at the Daedalus Center. Um, so certainly would, would encourage listeners to, to um, explore some of those resources uh, as to try to get better context on some of these topics.
0: Brilliant. Avinash, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been really insightful and a slightly mm-hmm. different topic to, to what we've had previously, but also given us insight to some of the great work you're carrying out in the US and how it can relate to, to, to our colleagues here, not only in the UK, but, but, but further abroad. Um, listeners, we'll put up links for any articles mentioned on the podcast. If you enjoyed today, please subscribe to the FMP on our Spotify and SoundCloud accounts where you can reach all of our podcasts. Alternatively, our podcasts are also available for free via the podcast section of the FMPA website. You've been listening to the Football Medicine and Performance podcast. Have a great day.